Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Lee, otherwise known as Intuition, and you are listening to Kinda Neat. This is our weekly podcast. I want to thank all of you guys that have been tuning in. It's been really awesome to get like actual feedback face-to-face from people. I was um, down in Palm Springs last weekend for the do-over, and uh, I ran into an old buddy that I used to go to school with named Iggy, and this motherfucker lost like 100 pounds. I barely recognized him. He's like all chiseled and handsome now because he used to be like kind of a portly dude, and I was like, holy shit, man, you look fucking great. What happened? He's like, oh, dude, I just started exercising and he looks like a whole different person but uh he was down there shooting photos for the do-over and i'm like how have you been he's like great he's like yo i've been listening to your new podcast the kind of neat shit and it's fucking awesome yada yada keep it up so like shit like that you know that to me this is my passion project we do this for free we do it for fun but i care about it as much as i care about making music like i love doing this shit it's very interesting to me and i love getting to talk to people and learn about them so to hear people in real life enjoying it is really great so thank you guys for tuning in thank you guys for subscribing on itunes and rating us We've been getting some ratings and I don't know, this is crazy. It's very flattering. We had Kitty Pride in last week and that video did so good overnight. It did about almost 10K views overnight. Super stoked about getting to fucking hang out with artists that I watch and, and like. So yeah, we appreciate you guys. Follow us on Instagram or not on Instagram. Follow us on, uh, well actually, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Fuck it. My Instagram is at its intuition. Follow me on there. My numbers have been stagnant. I want to fucking break 3000. God damn it. I'm stuck at like 2,800. Hook me up with some follows. My man Database be putting in work on Instagram. This fool's got mad filters. The filter game super on point. So follow my dude Database who does uh, the engineering. He is at I am Database on Instagram. Base with two S's. Follow us on uh, Twitter at That's Kinda Neat. At It's Intuition. At I am Database. Fuck with the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash That's Kinda Neat. This week... We have my friend Kyle Gray in, otherwise known as Avocado. He's sitting in the room while I'm recording this, so it's kind of awkward, but uh, that's okay. (laughs) Avocado is one of my best friends. Uh, We met serendipitously in 2008. I rolled up on a fixed gear bike shirtless to Crenshaw in a bike that was covered in red uh, in the middle of the hood. And uh, he rolled up in a basketball jersey looking all swole. He's got big ass arms and shit. I was new to LA. He was new to LA. I was hungry to make friends. He wanted to fucking sock me in the face because he thought I was annoying, which is all fine and dandy. But, um, we ended up becoming really close friends after hanging out in at Scribble Jam. We got stuck in the airport together and we had like a four hour conversation. Turns out that he lived right down the street from me on the West side in LA, lived in Culver city as well. We started hanging out and I consider him one of my like normal guy friends, meaning he's not a rapper. He's not a musician. He's not a scenester. He's not a womanizer. He's just like the homie, which is great. It's great to have normal friends to keep you grounded. What's kind of happened over the years as I like chase this pipe dream of living in the music world is, uh, every time I go out or hang out, it's always kind of with other music type guys. And we end up going to shows and there's always like This is going to sound snobby, but I don't mean it to. I mean it to be like sound kind of tiresome, but it's like, you know, we're always like going to guest list shows and trying to hang out backstage. And like you kind of lose sight of being uh, a fan of things when you get spoiled by being able to like get into shows for free. You forget to go see bands that you like. You forget to go uh, be a fan at a show and stand in the crowd. 
you get jaded with like standing side stage and watching people and really only watching people because maybe they're the new cracking shit, you know, they're what's trending on Twitter or they're what uh, the fader is posting about rather than like, oh yeah, this is like some music I really, really fuck with. And so every once in a while, I like to hit up my rap friends or my music friends and say, hey, uh, does anybody want to go have like a normal dude night where we just go to a bar and drink beers and like be around other fucking people that aren't pursuing uh, entertainment industry shit. And it's very refreshing to do that. Like I, I like to go to the backstage sometimes in Culver city right near my house because uh, we can just go be normal and like not fucking try to be rappers for the night. And that shit's tight. You can go in sweatpants and nobody cares. And so anyways, Kyle's one of my friends that keeps me grounded and I've been very lucky having known him because he's a great visual artist as far as like video editing goes, as far as visual effects go, as far as ideas go, he thinks a lot differently than most of my friends in that he can hear a song that I do and like it and relate to it and think of it visually in a way that I don't think of because he comes up with the concepts for my music videos. So this is the guy that's done my last four videos and then maybe even one more than that but he's he did finish with a kill he did ain't the blues he did imagining he did make better and yeah i really love working with him because he can take an abstract idea that i don't understand when he tells him to me he's like he's like okay yeah yeah i got this idea for a video where you're gonna throw a baseball a bunch of times and i'm like this video fucking sounds terrible it's just gonna be a video of me throwing baseballs but i go all right you know what man i trust you i have faith in you and then all of a sudden he puts out this like beautiful fucking tear-jerking video that the first time i saw it made me cry you know so it's great to be around people with um varied talents but also that are like kind of humble about it and normal about it and and like we can go out and have normal guy beers and not have to be backstage at a show to have fun so anyways we're going to get into my conversation with avocado kyle gray uh you can find him on twitter at avocado is god you can see all kinds of work that he's done the main thing that we talk about uh, in this podcast is is the influence that he's had over the battle scene it's a scene that i've I don't really associate myself with too heavily, but that I've been around since it's dawning in California, really. Like, I've been around it for a long time. The guys that are big on YouTube right now from California, I've known since the early aughts, like uh, probably 2003 is when I started meeting all these guys. So I've I've been around the battle scene for about 10 years, and Kyle has known about it for just as long and has been a part of it for almost as long. So we get pretty deep into some of the, like, grind time politics and the you know, just all around battle scene kind of gossip and shit. And he has some really cool insights on it. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, here is my convo with Kyle Gray. What's up? What's are, we, are we doing this? Yeah, man, we're doing it. Okay. Uh, Hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who are you my name is kyle gray i do visual effects for a living and in this small subculture of battle rap i am known as avocado how did you get into doing video stuff just in general yeah just in general um well i've always been doing film like ever since i was a little kid i would you know like pick up a vhs camcorder and like film me and my little brothers like wrestling and shit and then you know i started skateboarding and i wasn't very good at it so I started making skate videos. How old were you when you started making skate videos? 
I was 16 and I started an LLC to, to like film and, you know, actually distribute them all over Colorado. So explain to those of us that aren't business savvy, what an LLC is a limited liability company. So you started a business when you were 16. Yes. What were you motherfuckers doing when you were 16? Huh? Huh? No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> so you started an LLC because you knew that you wanted to do something with video at that young age? Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't like on my own accord. I wasn't, I'm not going to front, like I was like business savvy at all. My father, like, you know, was like, Hey, if you're going to like do these and you want to sell them and there's like an interest from the audience, you know, do this in the correct way and stuff. So he helped me out. Yeah. What does your dad do? He is a construction owner. He does, uh, like builds like mansions and shit. So the only other job I've had besides film is construction. You're from Colorado. Yes, I'm from Colorado. Is that where your folks are from too? Uh, my dad's from Brooklyn, and my mom's from Wyoming. From Wyoming. How did <laughs> yeah. they meet? They were both bartending at some place called the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, and my dad just started sleeping with her. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did your dad end up in Colorado Springs from Brooklyn? My dad was a pot smoking hippie. Like he like went to Woodstock and shit. Like just traveled the world. As soon as he got out of college. He played ball for Syracuse, like basketball, uh-huh. got a scholarship, and then kind of got in there and realized, like, oh, you know, college ball is a totally different game than high school ball. Like, you might be good in high school, like the big man on campus, and then when you get in college... If like, you're a pot-smoking hippie, you got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, he got... His knees got injured, so he, like, couldn't play ball seriously, so he graduated with a degree in history and religion and then just kind of traveled around. I didn't know that your dad was a basketball player. My dad got a scholarship for basketball too because he's a big giant and then he was like, it was the same thing where it's like he was all of a sudden went from the big man to like just a normal sized dude and then he like failed out of college and joined the Air Force. Really? Your dad is enormous. I'm surprised he wasn't He's, awesome. like, he's like six, 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 seven, but that's not that tall in the grand scheme of things with basketball, you know? I suppose. So you know, your dad is a hard worker, was yeah. building mansions and stuff. So you like, like, I don't know if you've ever read rich dad, poor dad, but it sounds like you had a smart dad, like really pointing you in the right direction. That was good. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, he, he helped me out a lot and I think I get a lot of my work ethic from him. Like, you know, he'll, he still now even works till like, you know, he wakes up at 3am and goes upstairs to the office and just hammers out full days. And I think that kind of rubbed off on me. Like, you know, I'll work for full days doing compositing, come home and do you know, music videos and battling and stuff. Now you work on movies and TV shows, yeah. uh, doing visual effects, compositing. So like tell the people some of the movies that you've worked on just for shits and giggles. I mean, I worked on Iron Man one, two, I've worked in fast and furious four, five and six. I've worked on green lantern Inglorious bastards. A lot of movies, 42, man. 42, which is out right now, which fucking sucks. Don't bother working on Wolverine currently. So you've done a lot of movies. How did you transition from doing skateboarding films to doing VFX. So I, you know, I was obviously skateboarding and like the mecca of skateboarding is California. So when it came time to go to college, you know, I wanted to go to film school, obviously. So I went out to uh, San Francisco, the Academy of Art University. And, uh, you know, just, it was kind of like I, I met a girl and kind of quit skateboarding and, you know, then found like editing and started doing, I started working, you know, at an editing post-production house. And then I kind of like didn't even mean to, fall into visual effects i just kind of like fell into it and it's funny because you know everybody i meet now they're like kids that like went to school for visual effects like for compositing 
And I'm like, man, I just kind of wound up doing this bullshit. But you're underplaying a little bit because you, you touched on it briefly a second ago about like you got your work ethic from your dad. Now, you guys out in the audience listening, Kyle is one of my really close friends, and he's also the guy who's done my last four music videos. So Imagining, Ain't the Blues, Make Better, and Finish with a Kill are all him. And... um I feel like your work ethic, you're downplaying it right now because this guy is really one of the hardest workers that I know. Oftentimes, I just feel like a piece of shit when I hear how busy he is. <laughs> I think that the story of how you, quote unquote, fell into visual effects is really interesting. So like, break it down with your internship yeah. that you had. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, so basically, I got an internship at a uh, small production company, like really small. While like, you were still in school. Yeah, while I was still in school, I was 20. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, I just need to start doing internships. You know, like I... I kind of was getting a negative jaded attitude towards film school because it's like, you know, film is different, different than any other like industry. It's a very like family business is who, you know, so it was like, I just need to get my foot in the door somehow. So I started doing an internship at this place and I was doing it like on the weekends and shit. And then, um, I started basically just going there every day and they hooked me up with some small jobs, paying me a little bit. And I would literally like sleep on the floor of that place every single day, not go home. And I would buy t-shirts from Walgreens across the street and uh, shower at my gym up the street and basically just live there. It was pretty, what pretty kind intense. Of, what <laughs> kind of small jobs did they have you doing at first? Um, like just editing, uh, you know, like they would take on, like I edited uh, these online videos for Kikomen. Uh, the soy sauce company mm -hmm. and they would just have these like recipe videos of like how to make teriyaki teriyaki chicken salad and you know we did like these whole videos like of stop motion like pictures and i edited all those and we did like a branding video for sony and then they finally gave me like a full-on editing gig for this pharmaceutical company called epogen mm -hmm. and i got paid so much at 20 for that pharmaceutical companies pay out the ass. So how did it transition from doing little editing jobs into like heavy, uh, you know, movie VFX stuff? So, you know, I was doing editing, but I was also like handy with motion graphics and shit. And I was kind of generalist, you know, like they would always make me do like the end titles and stuff. And I like really liked that. And then I got hired at another company, full time staff, um, to do like online for commercials. So when you, do a commercial, the post-production process is, there's two steps. It's called offline, then online. And offline is like you basically edit low resolution so you can like work fast with all the files and then you take it to an online facility, usually on these machines called like Flame and they online it and they do all the up and make it like the fullest high quality you can possibly be. Any last visual effects like touch up some people's skin, green screen, all that shit, then like title cards. So I got a job there doing assisting for flame work and flame boxes are like, like they used to run on these boxes that cost a million dollars to buy, like literally a million dollars. So like they're, they're like the top of the line when it comes to like visual effects in the commercial world. So I just got the opportunity to go there and, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm kind of interested in it. And it kind of just step by step from there fell into doing compositing. Like they offered me like to do a couple shots and like some feature film work that came in. Then I started like actually doing online sessions with like clients sitting behind me. And, uh, yeah, just went from there. So how has it changed now as far as, uh, you say they used to cost a million dollars. Like now can you do flame on like a regular MacBook or something? Uh, I mean, yeah, you can like do flame on, on an HP, you know, it runs on Linux. It doesn't run on Mac. It used to be a turnkey system. What that means is like the whole box was devoted to flame. Like the whole computer was now it's a little different. 
But, uh, I mean, it's still around. It's not as prevalent as it used to be, and it's not as high profile as it used to be. I mean, like, flame artists used to make, like, a thousand bucks, like, an hour. Like, wow. pretty much. Like, it was like, they were just rolling, like, doing cocaine off the keyboards and shit. Like, it used to be fucking crazy, like, back in the day. And, you know, especially with, like, how cheap everything's become nowadays, and it's, you know, like, every kid coming out of school, like, knows how to do it. It's become very, like, you know, cheap. Are they outsourcing a lot of work to, like, India and shit like that with visual effects? Oh, uh, yeah, man. I mean, that's a whole nother fucking story, dude. Like, I'm right now trying to get out of visual effects. Like, eventually, like, within the next five years, I don't want to be in this industry anymore because it's becoming, like, I don't know if you heard about Life of Pi, like, that whole thing at the Oscars. Like, this movie, Life of Pi, won Best Director and Best Visual Effects for the Oscars. And, and best cinematography. It did, yeah, that's a fucking joke. And so, of, all of the cinematography was like green screen. Yeah, right? it was all green screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, the company that did Life of Pi, Rhythm and Hughes, um, went out of business. They went bankrupt. Have you ever worked for them? No. But my friend has. And, you know, I heard a lot of good things about them. I actually heard that they're like the one, they were the one last company that they were full of good people. Like the owner would put like the, the what was in the bank account on the wall. And he was like, anybody that's interested in like how this company's doing, you can come to our meetings and you know, it's a very open company. Because the way it seems like the way that you work in that industry is everyone is kind of freelance, everyone's ten ninety nine and like I know yeah. having known you for a few years now, it's like you get put onto a show and then you jump from company to company. Like when your show's over, other companies know like, oh, Kyle's available and they'll call you if they need you or whatever, but you're always working, but it's might be for like three or four different companies. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like there's, and that's the thing is like, you know, these companies are all really kind of, uh, the four studios that like make films now are kind of just running the show, you know, they're calling the shots like, and these companies all underbid each other. And like, basically like, um, it's, the work is not done on like, okay, we have like this amount of shots. How long is it going to take you to do it? It's kind of like a flat rate. Like we, we're going to pay you $8 million for, you know, like 50 shots and that's it. And what if the director keeps asking for changes, you know, then it's like, then you lose money. There's eventually. no overtime. Yeah. So right now the whole thing in visual effects is like this tax incentive, um, chase, which is going on with, um, basically like every, country and every state they're offering tax incentives for film production and what happens is if a studio does visual effects for like the hobbit or whatever in uh new zealand new zealand will offer them a tax incentive to where they'll make money back since they're doing production there and um the house that's in new zealand sees none of that you know, and before Weta was even fucking in New Zealand, like, you know, they're making industries in like Toronto, Montreal and all that shit because, you know, uh, Ontario is offering tax incentives to the studios and the the post-production facilities have to move studios there and basically artificially plant an industry there when they're not making any more money. They're just basically chasing the job and then artists have to be nomadic you know, and go from like country to country, spot to spot, which sounds cool. But you know, when you get older and you like have a wife and kids and yeah. family, and it's like, you're gone six months out of the year and you're not making any more money, 
you know, you're losing money actually by paying rent double and, you know, to like make a move that costs money too. Right. So basically, you know, the visual effects houses are just suffering hardcore right now. Like I said, Rhythm and Hughes went out of business. Yeah. After um, Rhythm and Hughes went out of business, it was like everybody, if you guys have ever seen anybody on your Facebook page or Twitter timeline that has like a, their avatar is just a green box. That's because they're part of the visual effects industry and it's to show solidarity, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, and then, uh, DD also went out of business, digital domain. And those are like the two huge houses in LA, at least. So the industry's suffering really bad. And it's just like, like I said, there used to be a lot more money in it than there used to be. And now it's kind of like, I feel like visual effects, nobody like really takes it seriously. They're like, oh, you know, when you go see a movie, like, dude, most of it was fucking CGI anyways. You know, they just go in the room and fucking press the button, like make the tiger in life a pie. And that's it. Bada bing, bada boom. They don't know how much hours and like artistry goes into that and how difficult it truly is. You know, they just think, you know, it's a bunch of people sitting behind a computer like pressing buttons that are like easily making a movie. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about your work ethic that, you know, just like a couple months ago, you were working like 22 hour days or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing, you know, in the VFX community is not uncommon to work, you know, 12 hour days is actually like not a long day. It's like, Oh, you're working 12s. That's not bad. It's like, I'm working 18s. I've been working 18 hour days for the past three months. Haven't had a day off and that's just normal. That's the thing is like, you know, a lot of people that work in visual effects don't have like the best, like, social skills and not the best in standing up for themselves. They kind of get walked over, you know, and like OT sometimes isn't paid. You know, there's like a lot of illegal activities that goes on, but nobody's going to stand up and be like, Hey, pay me OT because they're like, Whoa, now that you complain, you'll, we're never going to hire you again. You know, everybody's afraid of getting blacklisted, mm-hmm. but yeah, long hours is completely normal in my line of work. Other than from your dad, like where does that work ethic come from? Cause I feel like you torture yourself. Like you're, yeah, cause no, you're, definitely not only are you working like 18 hour days sometimes, then I know you come home and you'll work on a music video that you just started or you'll be doing battling stuff and you treat all of those like their day jobs too. Like where does that come from? Um, I don't know. I mean, basically like I feel, I feel uncomfortable sometimes if I'm not being productive. Like if I'm, I hate watching movies. I work in the film industry and I hate movies because I hate sitting in a theater and just letting two hours just wash over me and then coming out and be like, well, that was a fun way to kill time. You know, like I just like producing things and I like putting stuff out there and like feeling productive. I don't know. I guess it's, how I fulfill my day and my sense of accomplishment. Just staying busy, how you run from your emotions, bro. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, man, honestly, like, um, the, the way I first got like super obsessed with working and became a workaholic was I dated a girl, you know, typical story, like fell fucking in love and like moved in with her and that was it. And then she like left me for another dude and I was like completely depressed. So the way I got over that was just working all the fucking time. You never had any depression stuff before that? No, not really. I mean, it was kind of weird because I was always like, you know, I, I didn't really date anybody seriously in high school, but I always wanted like that serious relationship. And then when I met her and got that, I was like, oh man, this is, it. this is it. You know, I'm going to marry this girl. And the naivety of it kind of led to the downfall. And then, you know, that's how I kind of got, I, I just, I would work all the time to forget about it. It's not that case anymore at all, but I feel like that was where a big but part of it Do you think that from. depression would catch back up with you? Have you ever fucking took a break? Now? Yeah. No, I, I mean, like, all. what if you had a month off from work? And when I say a month off from work, what if you didn't 
do like I know that you have yeah. a financial back where you don't need to work for a month but what if you literally didn't do a single music video a single battle any favors for anybody any work for a month what would you go nuts I would go nuts yes you're yeah. completely right dude I would drink every fucking day get super drunk I would go to the gym a lot like but I would be super bored you know like there's only so many times you can like drink and go to the gym and you know like just hang out and watch TV before I would go fucking crazy yeah for sure I mean, are you worried about leaving a legacy or something? Is that part of it? No, not really. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I guess in a way I've left somewhat of a legacy with like battling sort of, I don't give a flying fuck about leaving a legacy and visual effects. Like I, like, you know, a lot of people care about their name being at the end of the movies and shit. And I, I don't care at all. I, you know, if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not, I don't care. I'm not trying to be like the next visual effects supervisor, the guy that did the fucking tiger in life of pie or anything, or the gorilla in King Kong. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. When I met you, uh, it was in 2008, I think it was when grind time was kind of first starting. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you guys out there know, but I'm kind of like an internet nerd. Like I like the internet. And so I used to post on a, uh, rapmusic.com it was like mc battle forums back yeah then or MC something. battle archives yeah mc battle archives forum and uh avocado kyle it was one of the characters on there uh and so grind time was starting to pop off and it seemed kind of it seemed like a flash in the pan to me at the time i think you had a lot of foresight in knowing that it would become something bigger for me i was like ugh, these battles they don't even have beats like this shit's not gonna <laughs> last and uh no can do versus madness was about to take place and it was um it was on a street basically it was on crenshaw we went to crenshaw some mural was painted on yeah supposedly it was a famous spot i mean i'm not really that la savvy i didn't know it was a famous la spot i've never seen it again since so yeah okay uh, we were <laughs> we were basically by a fucking highway yeah, we were, they're literally like in the middle do you remember in the middle of the battle some chick walked through oh the yeah battle. like some homeless people walked by and no shit. there's like there was just a girl like a pedestrian she just walked it, like in between no can and uh madness yeah like, not even on some rude shit it's just like hey you're on the sidewalk yeah there. i'm yeah. walking through i pulled up on a fixed gear bike yeah shout outs to my fixed gear homies looking mad in shape i was very in shape then and then you rolled up looking even more in shape because <laughs> kyle's a very big dude kyle got big muscles <laughs> anyways and that's when i met you you're filming that so tell me how you got into um the battle scene stuff and filming how did you get pulled into filming that because was that your first battle that you filmed nah my first battle was i filmed was battle of the bay one that was where madness battled the source Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the first, like, event that they had. Yeah, yeah. And I filmed, like, other battles, you know, like, freestyle battles and bullshit like that. But, okay, so how I got into battling. Um, so, you know, I've been into rap music forever, you know, like. How was, did you get the name Avocado? <laughs> oh, God. That's that's really not that cool of a story, man. I think all rappers' names are very fucking stupid, like, terrible. I don't I think there's very few cool ones. You God is very cool. <laughs> Very cool name. <laughs> you got <laughs> Cavadonna. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, I was just like, I rapped, you know, like back in like 98, 99, like with my fucking friends in my mom's basement and shit. That's kind of like a Raz though, right? Yeah, we were definitely kidding around. We were like white kids dropping mad in bombs and being like ignorant as fuck, you know, oh like my in my mom's basement. I didn't know. You shouldn't have admitted that on there. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't care, man. Yeah. I was there. I did. I was yeah. stupid and young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so me and my friend were like, we're like, all right, what are our names going to be? All right, all rapper names are stupid. They're all everybody hates a rapper name eventually, right? Yeah. I mean, I hate my fucking rapper name. Yeah. So I was like, okay, my name is going to be Avocado Breath, and my friend's name is going to be Bathtub. 
bathtub. That was, yeah. that was very, uh, he was very futuristic on that. that who would have known? Shout, <laughs> yeah, out right? to, shout out to Bats. Damn. Um, what were you guys' group name? <laughs> have I ever told you this? Yeah, the omnivorous uh, genitals. Yeah, right? omnivorous genitals. <laughs> And we would po- we would post on uh, the nonfiction message board. Um, that's uh, Sage Francis's uh, message board. All the fucking no, nonprofits. Time. His non-profits. nonprofit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Nonprofits. And uh, yeah, I would post on there all the time. And dude, Sage fucking like hated us so much. He's like, you punk little kids, like dropping n bombs and like fucking like being trying to be satirical of like popular rap. I've seen it done way better before. You guys were like trolling very early. Yeah, I guess you got that. So avocado just stuck. Yeah. And so you've been listening to rap ever since. Yeah. And then, you know, like I battled a long time ago. You did? Yeah, man. Oh, I didn't know that you battled. Yeah. I was really bad. I got like eaten alive. Did you battle on camera? Yeah. No, well, shit. I have, I have an old VHS copy of it somewhere at my mom's apartment. No place. shit. Over beats though. Yeah. Over beats. It was quote unquote freestyle. Was yours all written? No, mine was all freestyle. Oh shit. I mean, you have like the, pre- the things, you know, like what if I battle a fat person? I'll say this or a skinny guy. I'll say this, you yeah. know? I like had that and I came out with like one pre-med and then just dropped like off the face of the planet. I like, I grabbed the guy's head and they were like, no touching and like broke us apart. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, I have battled before and I'm fucking horrible at it. So just like skateboarding, I was like, you know, I was super into battling and you know, I'd watch like, I would look up old like scribble jam battles, like dose one versus peace and like idea and shit. And I was just like the ultimate battle fanboy, And then, I actually went to Scribble Jam in 2003 and 2004. I was there in 2004. We just didn't meet. Well, wait. Which year was that? Which, that was the won? year that Greg won, Immaculate. I wasn't there that year. That I was 04. Okay. Well, then I went oh, there in 2002 and oh, 2003. was the year that um, the dude who got the Grammy won. Rhymefest. Yeah, Rhymefest yeah. won that year. Yeah, the year Rhymefest won and the year Mac Lethal won and he had a black eye. Oh, so that was 02 and 03. Yeah. So... Yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. Like, I feel I, very nerdy for knowing all that. Yeah, I know. It's very nerdy. Battling is nerdy in general. Um, but yeah, so I was like super into it, you know, like, and then Scribble Jam died. When we met in 08 for the Madness and No Can Battle, you were filming um, the Fresh Coast documentary. Yeah, that's right. So basically, I met this kid called Philip Drummond. He makes beats and he's pretty famous for like having the biggest archive of freestyle battles ever famous is a relative term. <laughs> okay i have a lot of history <laughs> i have a lot of history with philip drummond uh philip drummond is actually the reason that i quit battling because i was trying to battle a little bit back when i lived in santa barbara at the time i thought i was a decent freestyler and he was throwing rap events and one day mark equilibrium and i we threw a very successful show at a place and uh they were so successful that they were like oh you guys should throw another show and we're like well we don't want to do another show so let's throw a battle. So we threw a battle there and then Philip Drummond showed up going, oh, hey, are you guys uh, are you guys related to mcbattles.com? Because you're using their logo. And I'm like, uh, are you a lawyer or something? Because he just had this like fucking swagger about him like he was going to snitch us out. And I'm like, nah, we just used the fucking, used it on our flyer, you know, because we just thought it was a cool logo. And he's like, oh, okay, well, blah, 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 blah. And he started throwing battles around the area. And then one time I used some line. I was not a fucking battle nerd. I wasn't like, I hadn't memorized every battle, but yeah. apparently I used some line that was similar to an idea line about a kid who was half black uh, no racist and anyways he disqualified me from the battle for saying i was biting and i was like so disgusted that i never battled again i was like fuck this and so anyways it's not true you battled again i battled like one more time in a there's a two on two two online well on a two on two battle oh yeah with bo rat 
No, 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 no. You and uh, 60 Cycle versus oh. Awkwards and No Can Do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. I battled like maybe three more times after that, but always in two on two, so I wouldn't have to like bear too much of the burden. Because yeah. after I met No Can and all those guys, I realized like, oh, wait, I fucking suck at freestyling compared <laughs> to these fools. Because like these guys were like really, really freestylers. Yeah, and especially being around No Can is like the best. The, so. One of the best in the world. So it's like, I'm very competitive in that like, if I don't feel like I'm really fucking good or the best at it, I just won't participate. So I was like, yeah. fuck freestyling because my, my friends in me at it was that before you got your tonsils pulled out yeah that was way before i got my tonsils out yeah 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 um so anyway anyways <laughs> you were working on the fresh coast documentary yeah so basically i met this kid philip drummond through uh rapmusic.com and i was like hey or basically i went to an event he threw all these events called 16 bars and it had like you in know, the bay yeah in the bay um on polk street and it was like sort of a pseudo battle like they would be like you do one round of freestyle if you want to battle your opponent you can you don't really need to insult them or you can just freestyle one round of written and then both of those are over beats and the third round's acapella and um i just brought my camera and i'm like i'm just gonna make a video because you know like at the time there wasn't anybody doing cool videos and i'm like i'm way better than any of these other shitty videos that are coming out so I filmed it and then put it online. Everybody was like, oh my God, who the fuck made this? And I was like, I made it. And then I met Lush One at the next show. And, you know, he posts on rapmusic.com and he's like, what's up, blood? I like, your, I like your, uh, I like your forum swagger. Hey, hey blood. I, I really like that video that you made, blood. Yeah. And it's so shout funny because shout out to Lush One. Me and him used to fight all the time on rap music because I was like, I was like, man, I love cannabis. I love just a law. He was like, you're a faggot. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, so I met him and it was cool. And like, you know, he was like, yeah, if you're interested, you know, we should like get together and hook up and like, you know, whatever, like do some video stuff. And then, uh, basically Philip Drummond gave me like, the, like so many mini DV tapes of just fucking old school, like battles, like, uh, mind games and like brainstorm and all that stuff. And at the time, this was kind of around the time the WRCs were going on, which was, uh, run by a British company jump off. And uh, it was kind of like a two-on-two tournament. And that's where these two guys, Thesaurus and Immaculate, got like a lot of their shine from. Um, so it was around that time. So, you know, Thesaurus and Immaculate are, are like West Coast guys, too. So there was a lot of like unseen footage with them in there. And they had both won Scribble Jam, right, at that point? Illmac had. I don't think. Thesaurus won it after the first WRCs. I thought WRCs. he won it in 07. Yeah, but he won it after the WRCs ended. Oh. So then I got all this like archival footage that nobody had seen. And like originally we were just supposed to do like a compilation battle video, you know, like just some like just clips thrown in there, yada, yada. And then I was like, nah, dude, let's like do a documentary. Let's like get all these like freestyle battle kids together and just film them talking about each other and stuff and do kind of like a cultural documentary about it because at the time there was a whole renaissance going out on the west coast where it was a lot of guys who couldn't get out to scribble jam sometimes were out here really really doing great in the battle scene yeah. with like thesaurus it was immaculate it was awkwards was a part of it who no else can. Uh, no can xi lush lush who else d lore passwords <laughs> yeah passwords at the time in like 06, 07, 08, there's a big battle scene in California. And a lot of yeah. these guys weren't getting recognized on a national level, but in California, they are killing it. And like in the theoretical hypothetical battles, like, oh, well, fucking passwords would kill this guy, but they just yeah. never have a chance to battle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was like never, it was way different back then. It was like the freestyle 
against like the written sort of smack type stuff, you know, and there's, I, there's still a thread on rap music that was like Franco would kill murder mook in a battle. Yeah, Cause the East coast was already doing smack battles yeah. uh, where it was like acapella versus acapella and they yeah. were all written. And on the West coast, everybody was very still anti that. Yeah. And exactly like no, no written at all in a battle. If you ever spit a written in a battle, that's like fucking blasphemy and you're such a terrible person. Yeah. So then what happens like Matt Ills, <laughs> after the WRC. Uh, okay. So yeah, I'm making the documentary essentially. And I film like all the interviews with them and then I get hit up by direct. Um, he's a cat out of Florida. Um, and he was, uh, you know, starting this thing on his own where he would just film his buddies in a park under like an overhang, like rapping to each other, but like using writtens. So they would each like go three rounds each and do like 60, 60 seconds of writtens. And like the first one that came out, people were like, this is kind of cool, but they're doing writtens. Like nobody really understood it. Like where's the freestyling, yada, yada. But it slowly started to catch on. And then Lush actually went out there for an event and he battled. And he like destroyed unorthodox phrases like super hard. I remember that. And I remember there like somebody did an article about him and he was like, yeah, you know, it feels like I'm carrying the bay on my shoulders out here. And it was like very it, at the time it was a lot more serious than it yeah. seems now. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I feel like silly talking about it because but I mean, at the time it was, it was this the, triumphant moment. Yeah, at the time. exactly. Like, oh, wow. California is like really going to about to kill shit or something. Yeah. So when he went out there, he was like talking to direct and Maddo's, he's like, yeah, we have all this talent out in the West coast. Let's start a division out there because you know, before that grind time was just like a Florida thing. And let's be honest, like there was like three good battle MCs in Florida and most of them moved out to the West. That was the whole thing is that when grind time first started cracking out there, I think that was when it was like everyone out here was going, well, fuck, you know, lush had dubbed it the fresh coast at that point. And was like, well, everyone on the fresh coast would kill everyone on in Florida and yada, yeah. yada. Exactly. Yeah. And so when Lush went out there, it was like kind of to prove it. Yeah, exactly. So he murdered shit out there and like destroyed this fool. And then they came back and then he hit me up and he's like, hey, man, we're going to start a West Coast um, division of grind time. Would you be interested in like filming the event? And I was like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. I'll only film it if I get to use it in my documentary, if I get to use the footage. So I talked to direct about it and he was cool. Matt Ells wasn't like I never talked to him. He wasn't even I don't even know if he was in the picture at this point. But yeah, so then we had the first West Coast grind time event, which was Battle of the Bay One. And it was just like kind of out in a park or something, right? No, nah, that was in a venue. It, it was? was? Yeah, man. It was at the Oakland whatever. I forgot what it's called. It, saw, it looked like it was all window light and shit. Yeah, but I mean, it was during the day. It was, it was, it in, it was indoors. <laughs> yeah, though. it was indoors. Okay. There was like literally like 15 people there. We hired like a model to be like the timekeeper and she shows up fully clothed like not dressed like sexy at all like had a scarf on and like was super shy like around all these thirsty battle rappers like poking at her and shit and uh so yeah man that that battle was actually Did really she end good. up in a bikini no i don't know what the point it, it was still back then when everybody's like we gotta get time card girls and girls yeah, in bikinis yeah. and battles who battled that day thesaurus versus madness madness and madness was you know like a florida mc and he just moved out to the West Coast. And at the time, Madness was like, had his little buzz going because he had battled Iron Solomon on the street, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And got really close to beating him. And he actually beat the Saurus in a freestyle battle before this. Yeah. And that this was kind of like, this was like the time that like, thesaurus hadn't lost at all he was yeah. like invincible and everybody was like oh man he's the best in the world and then this guy madness that was relatively unknown in the grand at least out in the west you know like came out and beat him like pretty bad 
And uh, oh, Madness won that day. No, not at Battle of the Bay at the freestyle battle. Oh. So that's why the source accepted that battle. So. Yeah, man. And it was just the first time anybody had seen Thesaurus or Madness just use like straight writtens like for a whole round and people were like blown away by it. And he got a lot of uh, a lot of views relatively at the time. Like back yeah. then, 5000 views was like, wow, this yeah, is a on lot. YouTube back then. It was different. Like, did you know that in '07 in or something like that or 06 to be in the top 200 most subscribed people, you only needed 200 subscribers or something like that? Wow. What it do was you, crazy. What do you need now? Millions. Yeah. The number one most subscribed guy is like 7 million subscribers or something. Yeah. So back then it was it was just a different game on youtube no it definitely was i mean you know more about that than i do but i feel like grind time kind of got in at the point that it was like that lucky time you know when they started yeah it's like they weren't the original adopter but they were early enough to where they got a good jump on it yeah totally. um who else battled that day xi no nah, xi didn't uh passwords passwords battled illusion z Oh, yeah, that, then, that was like Illusion Z's premiere, right? Yeah, Illusion Z got eight. And that was that kind of Password's first day in the sun, too. Yeah. Like, he really marked it. Because he was, this was, like, back when freestyle battles happened, like, they retired. Like, Password's was, like, retired from battling. Even though he, when he was battling, he was, like, 16 at the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Uh. He was 16, looked like he was 48. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he, like, returned to battling and, like, killed shit, and everybody really liked that battle. And then Dirtbag Dan battled that day. Frank Stacks battled that day. D-Lord that battled one of day. Dirtbag Dan's first battles ever, right? Or like first like videotaped battles? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny because I mean you know Dan pretty well. At the time, I didn't know Dan as a battle rapper. I knew him as a good musician. Yeah, like because of Thunderhut and all that shit. Yeah, right? yeah. I think he was like a late entry into Thunderhut. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I didn't know him as a battle rapper back then. I just knew him as like a dope rapper. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of I mean like it's just crazy how shit's changed now. Like he's because now that's name. that's his mo now. It's like yeah, he's a battle his, rapper. That's his hustle. I yeah. mean he makes music still and like hustles off that like he performed to pay dues and stuff but yeah like he's definitely like hustling off battling yeah but uh yeah and that was the first like event we filmed and i just it was so different back then i would like send the tapes to florida and this kid Corey um would edit them all and put them online and yeah i just i made the documentary put it out there i was kind of disappointed in how it was received but that was because, you know, I made it kind of as a cultural study, not as like a documentary that followed like a character arc. Like there yeah. was no main character that changed throughout the documentary. Right. But yeah, man, after that, then like, you know, I lived in L.A. and Lush is like, hey, we're going to do this battle on L.A. like Crenshaw Boulevard between No Can Do and Madness. And this and I think James was kind of No Can Do was kind of like retired, too. At the yeah, time. everybody was on some like it, it was always an event if they. Battled. Yeah, exactly. Like No Can's returning. So, yeah, that was a huge deal. And I just showed up with my camera and met you and it was history. Yeah. And I was like at the time I had just moved to L.A. Had you just moved to L.A.? Yeah, I'd been here for like about a year. I had been here for a year as well. And it was like we were living like right down the street from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And uh you couldn't stand me at first because I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey man, look, I don't battle, but I got a lot of opinions and I know a lot about this battle scene because I've been involved with it since like 2003. So like, you should let me talk on your documentary and you're, and like, you had no idea that I even rapped. You just thought I was some like troll on the rap music board or something like yeah. that. You were polite about it. You're like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe. And then finally I seen you in um, Scribble Jam. We got stuck in the airport that year together. James and I were stranded at Scribble Jam because the promoters bought us tickets to get there and not tickets back. So we were in the airport for like eight hours and DJ D style saved our life because they, they would answer his phone calls, but not ours. Oh, wow. And we got a ticket back. But that's how we ended up sitting next to each other at the airport for like four hours and talking. And that's how we became friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was 
it was pretty funny in hindsight it would have been interesting to have you in that documentary i don't know if it would be good because you're a little brutally honest but it would have been a yeah. good counterpoint it was a very, sure. the documentary painted it as a very triumphant yeah picture. exactly and I, West Coast I, and I had a little bit of a more realistic idea of how things would turn out yes but it is what it is um so you became like the man for for battling yeah well i mean i don't know not sort of for like, for a camera for the west coast yeah like i basically filmed you know those two battles and then everybody was like well the west coast videos look so good because you know i was using i'm i was semi experienced with filming at the time and like i had done skate videos and shit so i was like filming with like a dvx it was still sd at the time so it looked good and then uh then we did you know that one on the crenshaw and then battle the bay two and that's where dumbfounded and tantrum battled and awkwards and jay's juice battled and that battle that jay's juice battle is actually like in my opinion that's like the origin of like intercontinental and international battles of like flying people out to battle because jay's juice and awkwards had all this beef from the wrc's because you know jay's juice is pretty famous for doing like insane multis like not not insane as in they're like crazy good it's, his style was just multis you know like can of tuna man i'm gonna cook boonia or something like oh, that, that was an amazing freestyle no um, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying like he basically would do like nonsensical multis yeah exactly it was rhyming for the sake of rhyming but not really saying shit yeah and then awkwards would always call him on that and you know awkwards was pretty outspoken at the time and he was doing blogs so they had like this little beef going so lush actually flew uh, Jay's out from New York and Frankie Wapps, the other guy that was his teammate in the WRC, is out to like you know for Jay's to battle awkwards. So that was a pretty big deal. And the dumb and tantrum battle became a big deal too because at the time that was that was really what set it off for Dumb. Yeah, because exactly. he had a great performance in that. And also, I think Dumb was smart enough to go. Well, he knew that that would be like a trending thing, like oh my god, Asian versus Asian. Because at the time. There wasn't an Asian presence yeah. in American hip hop really like that. Totally. Or I mean, I guess there were, but it was like that really the Asian versus Asian, like really let people know like, it, yeah, we're out here, you know? Yeah. He was smart. Yeah. So that was a good catchphrase. And that was the biggest battle at the time. Yeah. That yeah. hit like a hundred thousand views. Yeah, exactly. It hit a hundred thousand and that was a huge deal. A hundred thousand. No other battle had done that on the internet at the time. No, I mean, not like from grind time. I think like murder mook versus Lux was at a hundred thousand, but you know, um, but yeah, so we did that. And, you know, that was cracking and super good. And everybody was like really hyped in that battle. And then, yeah, I just kept doing every event for grind time. And, you know, like I talked with Lush pretty regularly. You know, I can't became like part of the quote unquote team, yada, yada. Now, grind time was infamous online for basically everyone being involved, being a CEO. <laughs> there were like 26 CEOs of grind time. Yeah, Tell yeah. me about grind time's business structure at the time. Okay. So you shove a bunch of people into a room and then you yell, have them yell insults at each other, and then somehow money comes from it. That was the business. There was no fucking business structure, man. It was, I mean, I'm not like ragging on them or anything, but it was a bunch of people that just loved battling and just liked it and trying to do something with it. And then they were like, oh, you can actually make money doing this. You know, like Battle of the Bay 2, where Dumb and Tantrum battled, was free. It was in a park. Like there was, we still didn't have the concept of charging because it was like, we weren't doing it for that reason. We were just trying to make cool battles crack off. And then once money came into play, then, you know. And at the time, I don't think you, could you monetize on YouTube at the time? I, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't think so. Because I don't think, they weren't thinking about that. Like, yeah. now there's a monetary value on a million views. You know yeah. what I mean? Like a million views, approximately $1,000. Yeah. At the time, it was like, oh my God, 100,000 views, we're fucking famous. <laughs> and it was nothing beyond that, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you guys started doing all of this and, and money comes into play and they start throwing events and, and people started claiming to get like 
ridiculous amounts of money thrown at them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, you know, like then Battle of the Bay three happened, and that was like the first event that uh, was charged at the door, and it was actually really successful. Like a lot of people came, and it was like I think like fifteen bucks at the door. So that like they made some money off of it, and you know, like like Mosh Jilton, the Orthodox phrases flew out from Florida on like their own dimes battle, which is like fucking unheard of now, and. uh yeah, we started making money. Like they started making money, like off the events, kind of like a, as like a show promoter would or anything like that. Were you getting paid? No, at this point I wasn't, and I wasn't really thinking about it that way because I was always just like, man, I love battling. You know, like I'm like filming like thesaurus battle. This is like a, this is like a dream come true. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so fucking gay. But uh, I mean, the other interesting thing is you were still filming on like a DVX camera at that point. Like. I don't know if people can like put this in perspective that often, but like we're in this crazy transitional period where technology is moving so fucking fast that like this camera that you were using at the time was state of the art. And now it's a fucking dinosaur. Literally like I have one sitting in the trunk of my car that you told me to just throw away. It was that one. Yeah. And so (laughs) it's crazy that at the time it was this transitional period where you had to get a DSLR because it made it, everything look that much crazier. Right? Yeah, it was that was a little bit later, but yeah, you're right. It was still like SD was still like the shit. Yeah, <laughs> and you know nobody filmed in HD. And like I remember when HD came out, I was still kind of a little hesitant filming. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't think anybody cares about that. You know, it's like this still isn't that serious. Like we're just filming battles. You know, and putting them on YouTube. It was like, and I I didn't I never like foresaw that it would become what it what it is i remember like literally i remember joking one time like yeah why don't we just film a battle with w- on the red and now we're filming fucking battles on the red yeah <laughs> who what was the first battle that used hd that i used hd not you but like in general the first one that everybody went holy shit they're using like look at this it looks like a music yeah. video um it was actually smack smack was the reason why i started using hd because this guy called twiz he does all the videos for smack and url he he's really fucking talented. He's the first guy that did DSLRs in a battle, and that was Cortez versus Marv One. And when they dropped the trailer, I mean, everybody was just flipping out about that shit. Like, holy shit, this looks amazing! Because before Smack's like production quality was not that great. It was kind of bad, and their audio was distorted, and it was just old school. You know, and like you got in a little you got in a little stink with Twiz about it, didn't you? Yeah, well. You know, you were I, being a dick at the I time. Was, I was being an asshole. I was being a little prick. But you guys have made up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you Shout know, outs to Twiz, man. You do good work. Yeah, I complimented him and shit. And he was actually like really classy about the whole thing. I was kind of bashing him because I was like a little jealous that he got to the shine before me and like thought of that. So I was kind of publicly bashing him. And then he was like, yeah, we're just both trying to progress the art. And I was like, fuck. Took the you're, you're even classy, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Battle of the Bay 3... Yeah. That was in 2010. Yeah. Okay. I was, I remember I did the interviews for that, right? Uh, no, no, that wasn't that. Oh yeah. I, that was you did judging. Oh, was I, was I there for battle of B3? Yeah, what? you were. Okay. That's when we stayed in that ghetto room in Oakland. Oh yeah. That was scary. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that was, that was a big deal because that was the first time they charged to get into an event. Exactly. So then, okay. Like that, that's the first time they charged. Then they fast forward to battle of B4. We brought out this battle rapper arsenal to battle awkwards and that was kind of a big pinnacle moment in battle rap because arsenal got paid kind of a lot 
and you know he was kind of a big deal and at the time um to put it in perspective it was very much a like grind time versus smack like who's better the quote-unquote street rappers or the quote-unquote joke rappers because grind time was known as it's a bunch of nerds that have a bunch of jokes and they do personal disses rather than actually rapping they know who their opponent's going to be and they research them and they try to do personals and so there's like a big there's still kind of a debate as to what matters more personal jokes or just dope bars yeah totally no you're completely right so this was at the time awkward versus arsenal was like the nerds versus the jocks almost you know what i mean like scribble jam versus smack pretty much you know like i said earlier about the thread with franco and murder mook everybody was always like well if thesaurus could ever battle loaded lux like you know thesaurus would show him what's up because you know loaded lux just spits writtens and pete would clown on him with jokes and shit um so yeah that battle happened and uh awkward's beat arsenal and some people think it was like a body or whatever like arsenal didn't have a chance i don't think arsenal really like knew what he was getting himself into he kind of just flew out there with some writtens and you know just rapped and stuff and you know rapped perfectly didn't show kind of like amazing presence and all that shit and that was like a huge deal at the time when that dropped because awkward's won of course so and was that a battle where money was getting involved at that point were you promised money at that point uh I think so. I think this was the point because like, you know, once they started making money and then I started like doing the editing also because I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll do editing too. Because you know, like Corey was editing all the videos for grind time. So there was like multiple divisions. There was like the Midwest, New York, Florida, and California. So he was editing all those videos and I was like, dude, I'll take some work off his hands. You know, I, I edit for a fucking living. So, and everybody really liked the stuff I put out. So I was like, you know, I approached a lot. I was like, Every time I film a battle, I have to rent equipment, you know, I have to rent a light and I have to drive up there and use gas, you know, like, is there any way you can like give me some money at least, you know, because like I won't charge you for filming, but I will charge you for editing because this is what I do for a living. And he was like, yeah. And he, at the beginning would pay for my gas and break me off a little change. And yeah, battle before, um, he, I think I got paid a little bit of that battle, but yeah. So basically to answer your question, yes, I was getting money at this point. Mm -hmm. Not a lot. Nothing significant, but a little bit. But the Arsenal thing kind of changed the game because all of a sudden, I think in that battle, he bragged about like, yeah, I've made five stacks to do this or whatever it was. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, I think light bulbs went off over like every rapper's head and they went, oh, wait, we're creating content for these guys. And on the surface, people do their little fucking internet math and they're like, well, dude, fucking 3,000 people showed up to that battle and it was 15 person ahead. And so that's obviously $45,000. And it's like, realistically, that is not how much fucking anybody made. And that's not how many people showed up and all this. But all these battle rappers went ding and a little light went over their head and they said, "Uh, oh, wait. I'm doing this for free and they're making money. I should be getting paid. And then it became a thing. Yeah, exactly. You're totally right. Yeah. Like once Arsenal got some money off of it, everybody else was like, well, you know, I want at least, you know, like a hundred bucks to battle and then turned into 200 bucks to battle. Or like, you know, I'm taking a flight out there. Can you at least pay for my flight? And then it became like, okay, we're hiring talent to do these things. It was kind of like if you, if somebody was to fly you out for a show, you would expect to get like flight hotel and a little bit of money. So I guess it was understandable in that sense, but also it was kind of weird because it was like, well, where is this money coming from? You mm-hmm. know, like. And it was coming out of Lush's pocket, like at, at least for the West Coast events. Lush wasn't like owner of Grind Time at this point. He was still like just the president of the division, and he just wanted to make dope battles happen. So he would like help people fly out. He would let people crash at his house, like with his girlfriend, you know, like. 
and he would just be the host and self budget these battles himself and like kind of pay me a little bit too. So it was all coming out of his pocket. And I was kind of like, well, where is the money from the YouTube going? You know, where was it going? I don't really know. Like, you know, at this point there was two owners, there was uh Matt Ills and direct and they both owned grind time. And the deal was always like that the other division heads like lush and like sunny bamboo in the West. I mean, in the Midwest, they would be able to throw these events, but they would keep whatever they made at the door and then send the footage to them and upload it. And then Matt Ills and director, whoever was owner of grind time at the point would, uh, keep the YouTube money. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think that was roughly the deal, mm-hmm. which in my opinion, but was a lot of flawed. these guys weren't making their money back on the events. Right? No, not totally. Well, not. And also like lush. I mean, I remember at the time, I know that you guys are all squared up and everything is cool. Yeah. Uh, and so this is just like to bring up the situation and not to fucking kick dirt in anyone's face. But I remember you being like, yeah, you know, I was promised this and I didn't get any of the money. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a little bit in the future. So af- after battle of Bay four battle of Bay five happened, which is like, you know, revered as like the best battle event of all time. That's like where arsenal battle conceded hollow battle passwords, the source battle immaculate. That's the one that I did interviews at, right? Yeah. That's the one you did interviews at. Okay. I still think that was the best battle event. I agree. That was the best battle event I've ever been to. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot and of fun. And it seemed important at the time. It did. Yeah. It really seemed important. Yes, exactly. And that right there was where th- shit turned after that. Because, you know, like all the Canadians came down, like Kid Twist, Organic, um, Pesci. They all flew down on their own dime. Didn't get hotels paid for. How much were paid. tickets to get into that? Oh, man. I don't, I don't remember. Maybe 20 bucks right i think it was still cheap it was not what it's like now it was a two-day event yeah it was two days so basically you know like some people were getting paid some people weren't arsenal got paid conceded got paid and you know like the other lower tier battle rappers didn't get paid um some people were promised money and didn't get it um but yeah man like that was the turning point like after that battles like that could never happen because now everybody gets paid. You would never see that many like high profile there battle were like rappers. 30 battles that in yeah, that thing. Exactly. You would never see them all on one card because it would cost fucking like six figures yeah, to some make of it these, some of these guys are getting paid 20 G's a, a battle now. Yeah. No, a lot of them are. Like not not a lot of them, but you know like a couple of them are and that's you know, who, who's to say that they shouldn't, I guess. But I mean, it it's just becoming very expensive. And so, yeah, that was the point when basically like I started to ask for more money, too, because, you know, I like it I became was, a full time job. For yeah, you. it did. Exactly. Like I said, I was I was working full time and these battle videos were no more than it used to be like I would just slightly edit them and put them up and put the logo on them. This time it was like I was doing like custom made motion graphics intros. I was like doing 3D titles and tracking them in over their heads. And like that takes time. And that's what I'm paid to do for a living. And that was another one of those stepping stones that made everyone else step their shit up. Because once you started doing those floating graphics, every other league started to bite. And that and now that's just yeah. standard. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what you do. Yeah. But yeah, man. So it's like, you know, my the production quality was going up. And that was obviously making me spend more time doing it. So it was like, Hey, you know, I, I like sort of have to be compensated for this. If I'm like, if this is like my job, I do this for a living. I get paid pretty good for it. And I work in like the film industry. I can't just do this for free forever. Like I have to get compensated somewhat. Um, and then that's about the time that I started filming in HD. And then that's when everything became super expensive because, you know, HD cameras, I didn't buy one. I would just rent one every time I'd have to rent lights. You know, I would have to like, get my friends to help film and like 
they weren't getting paid. I would pay them out of my pocket. Yeah, multiple camera angles and stuff. That was another yeah. thing that was like nobody was doing. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, like there just became like a bunch of money problems, like, and they weren't making as much money off the door. Lush wasn't as he like anticipated, you know, and like he had all these people asking for money. And, you know, like it just basically became like, I was owed a certain amount and it became a tab, you know, it just kept rising and all that shit. And I wasn't really stressing it because it was like, I would rather have, um, adult battle happen and them get paid than like me get paid. You know, that's one thing that has always really been solid about you with the battle shit. And it's funny because every time I talk to you, it's like, oh, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit doing battles. Yeah. And then you, the thing is, is that as dorky as some people might think it is, it really is a fucking passion of yours and you love it. And that's mm. why you do it. And, and I think that's a great like selfless thing, because I do think that you've had a lot to do with the reason that battle rapping is where it is right now, you know, behind the scenes. And really, you've completely did it out of love. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that you still do it out of love because you don't make good paper off of it. No, I've never made any money off of it. But you, also, you're one of those people where whenever there's some work in front of you, you want to make it more work to make yourself happier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like when somebody's, oh, we're going to do an event in Toronto. You're like, well, I'm going to fly out a whole film crew. I'm going to get a steady cam. I'm going to get rollers. I'm going to yeah. get, um, you know, fucking four red cameras. We're going to do it live on YouTube. Was pay-per-view one of your ideas? No, that was uh, actually Poison Pen was the first guy that did that. Okay. And he did it at the event that Awkwards battled Roan and that it did pretty good. And I was like, everybody else was like, damn, that's another avenue we never even thought of to make money. Like, that's a good one too, you know, because everybody wants to see these live. Like, that's, that's a great avenue. So basically then I think it was Blackout 1 that King of the Dot was, did the first one and that's where it came from. When did grind time start falling apart? Uh, grind time started falling apart, in my opinion, kind of after MOB. That was that was like after Battle of the Bay 5, Lush is like, all right, this is the last Battle of the Bay. I'm going to do something different the next time. It was Massacre of the Bay. Yeah, it was Massacre of the Bay. And he got a bunch of sponsorship money, booked Freeway to perform there, which was like a huge deal, you know? And uh, booked like tons of good battles, had Arsenal versus Diz, booked at the time, this was like a super big deal, booked T-Rex versus Awkwards. So they were kind of hoping to do the same thing that he did with Awkwards versus Arsenal, you know, like cross platform the fans. And uh, yeah, it was uh, kind of a disaster. Like the, the crowd was enormous and they were really hard to control. We didn't have the proper mic set up to like project. Um the cops shut it down. Like the venue, the guy turned the lights off in the middle of disasters round, second round. And like Diz kept rapping. I still think that's cool that he like finished his round, like basically rapped all the way through, like even after the lights went out and it was just my camera's light, you know, on him. So everybody could still see, but everybody's kind of like, what the fuck's going on? And then afterwards, like the cops showed up and they kicked everybody out and we couldn't finish the battle. And yeah, it was just like a, like one of my boy, Corey's camera got stolen like oh, yeah. that was like a three thousand dollar camera I got jacked. Um, that was in twenty ten. Uh, I think it was twenty eleven or maybe twenty ten. Did I do interviews at that one too? No, you were there though. Yeah, I think on I, tour. I was. Oh yeah, I was on tour. So I was in twenty ten because I was supposed to go on stage right before Freeway. Oh yeah, and then I ended up getting dicked out of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh well, whatever. You know, no hard feelings. It just but was. Why did things start falling apart after that? Um. Well, basically, you know, like Lush had always been funding these events himself, and I feel like he wasn't really making 
profit, kind of like how I was making profit, but he had to continually paying people because that's was where it was set. You know, battle rappers at this time were expecting money to get paid for, you know, flights and hotels and all that shit. So he was shelling out like a pretty large amount of money. And like, you know, he had people helping him out, like sponsors and like his friends. Um, and then MOB was like an enormous investment. Like he invested so much money into it and it like got shut down. Not as many people came as he had hoped. And then, um, yeah, then I feel like he, then he became a CEO of grind time. So he was collecting some of the YouTube revenue and this at the time, like the views were getting pretty good. Like Arsenal and conceded, I think hit a million around that time. So that was like good enough money, you know, coming in, but we, nobody was seeing that money. Like that money wasn't going back into the company in any way, in my opinion, like grind time. I've seen the screenshots of the, of the profit being made and it's been, they made 40,000 over the time that I was there, $40,000 off YouTube. Um, grind time never, I don't think they ever helped any of the events. They never put any money back into it. I don't think they gave lush money to throw an event ever or to help him out. I've, I, I remember like, you know, when I was owed money, I called up Matt Ills and direct and I'm like, Hey, you know, like I'm owed this amount of money by lush. Is there a way you guys can cover it? Because, you know, you guys are making money off this of off the work I did. Um, so technically you're the boss of the guy that's supposed to, hi- supposed to pay me. So, you know, yeah. And they were like, yeah, well, you know, if we paid you out of our pocket, we, we wouldn't be teaching lush anything. You know, it wouldn't. <laughs> It wouldn't teach him wow. how to do it correctly. So yeah, we can't pay you. So I was wow. like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it, <laughs> it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so basically shit started falling apart around then. And then um, I was like, when did Lush step away from grind time? That was a, a while later. Like basically like I, I stopped filming. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm done filming battles after this. Like, you know, I've taken like a huge loss and I'm getting sick of it. And um and so then a couple other people started filming and then they had battle of LA four or whatever, you know, and, uh, that was tiny, right? It was, it was a decent size. Um, but then after that was when lush was like, Hey, I got my music career in Europe and you, dude, he was like playing like stadiums over there. So he obviously was like, this is way more crack and I'm going to pursue, like, I've always wanted to be a musician. I never wanted to be a businessman CEO. Yeah. So he stepped away from the plate for a little bit and left it to Cadillac Ron. And that's where you, I think you yeah, guys we talked, talked about to Cadillac that. Ron. You guys can listen to, um, episode three and four, I think. Yeah. Episode three and four, we talked about Cadillac Ron. He touches on when he got, t- he took over as grind times guy yeah. and shit went awry. Shit went awry. Yeah, exactly. Like the West fell off super hardcore. Nobody wanted to battle anymore. There was no money. And yeah. And that's when King of the Dot started stepping well, up. Well, that I started doing videos with them, like kind of the same time around like Grizzle Mania two. I did a video. I did an event with them. What for, year with is uh, I think 2010. Okay. Um, and then I did world nomination one with King of the dot and that was in Toronto and Canada. So that was, that was the first time I was like, they flew me up to Toronto to do that. Was shit. that kind of like your triumphant return to battle rapping? Like they, didn't they kind of advertise like, yeah, plus we're going to have avocado film and everybody's like, Oh shit. It, uh, it wasn't that one. That was at blackout one. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I filmed that and then I, I loved it up there. I loved organic. I loved Avi. Like they were just like great people and like super nice and like the atmosphere and 
uh, King of the Dot is like way fucking different than any other battle. Yeah, shouts to King of the Dot. I've actually uh, I've never been up there, but those guys have always been very nice to me for no reason too. So shout outs to Organic and shout outs to Ryan PVP. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, those guys are good people. And so dealing with them is just like the business was better. Yeah, it was like they I showed up and they like paid me and like. Uh, I mean, it, the business was good dealing with cap too. And like, it's like, I don't, I always feel bad about saying lush was bad, but doing business. Um, but I, I just didn't think he was a businessman. You know, I just don't think that was his calling and lush under- is an artist. Yeah, exactly. I understand like him overestimating what he would make and then stiffing the video guy who's already making X amount of money and doesn't really, I, I, I wasn't doing this for the money in the first place. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, Lush knew that like your actual job was good. Yeah. Yeah. King of the dot was dope. They paid me good. They paid for my flight. It was fucking awesome. It was really fun. So I just, you know, started doing more events with them and they would fly me up each time. But then, you know, it got into a thing where I was like, you know, renting more equipment and like making it super good. Yeah. So what talk about the battle where you decided, that you were going to like change the fucking you were going to change battle filming forever <laughs> um I, th- I feel like i tried to do that with every event even though it didn't really come across like that but yeah so after twiz used the dslr i went out and bought one to follow in his footsteps and i filmed uh blackout one with that and everybody liked how that looked that was where bender battled arcane for the chain and then the next year um at blackout two I was like, man, what, what could we do next? What could, what could like, I want to do the best we could possibly be. And we filmed it on the red. Was that in LA or that was up there? That was up there. Okay. So yeah, the red is a camera that, um, came out of the time that kind of revolutionized the way digital filmmaking was uh, produced. It filmed at 4k, which is a resolution size, which is essentially four times bigger than HD. And, um, it rivaled film, it rivaled 35 millimeter film. It looked amazing and it was cheap because you didn't have to pay for the film to be transferred to digital and it was easy to use. And actually a lot of feature films were using it too. And I just happened to be so lucky as to have a childhood friend that was a cinematographer, Nelson. And he shout outs to Nelson, who's been the cinematographer on the two of the videos we've worked on finish with a kill and imagining. Yeah. So Nelson, you flew him out to Toronto too. Yeah, exactly. I flew him up there and we, we got a slider, like a little like thing that slides a camera from like uh, horizontally. And he would pivot with that, with the, the red one. And that was the first battle that was ever filmed on the red. And it was a pretty big deal at the time, you know, because we were treating these, these live performances like film shoots at this point. You guys had everybody like laved up and shit. Uh, no, we didn't do that. I always hate the way that sounds. And I've, I've, I've found out that, uh, battle fans actually like quote unquote worse audio than better. Like when you use shotgun mics and like isolate the sound. So there's no room tone, the crowd kind of dies. Oh, so they like that ambience. Yeah. They totally so like it. So what were you using? Just like a boom? Nah, dude, I was using the mics on the seven D. No shit. Yeah. Huh. They, they like, I don't know. Like at blackout one, I used a shotgun mic. I think you complimented me on it. Like the way it sounded in a zoom recorder and everybody was like, what happened to the crowd? Uh, They're so dead. Yeah. And I was like, well, it sounds better. And the fans just were like, we want to hear a crowd reaction. I heard some study where if you grow up like kids these days that are growing up listening to MP3s, who've never heard vinyl cassette CDs. They've only heard MP3s yeah. in scientific studies. Now, if you play uh, a recording of a song on vinyl and then you play the same recording on MP3, they prefer the tone 
tones of MP3 where any audio file will tell you that vinyl is better. Yeah. It's just that they grew up listening to that, you know? Yeah. So the battle fans probably just got used to hearing the audio like that and they like it. Yeah. I mean, it probably dates back to like you watching shitty, like real audio battles where it's like distorted and like, it's so terrible, but you like love that gritty sound, yeah, you know? Yeah. Right. So yeah, basically filmed that battle in the red and it came across really well. I like put a lot of time and effort into that, like made it try to make it look as much like a fucking feature film as possible. We filmed like pre-interviews and black backdrops. And, um, I used like all this stock footage of like icebergs and stuff and tracked like the names in there. And it was, it was really well done in my opinion. And I'm really proud of like how that battle event came across. Um, but yeah, then I filmed another, the next event that I filmed on the red was the one where cannabis battled disaster. Still to this day, that was the largest production that I've ever done in battling. I remember you being stressed as fuck about that because you basically redid that building's whole internet yeah. capability because you were trying to use stream it in HD. Yeah, basically that. Okay, the pay per view thing. Everybody was like super hyped on that. Like, let's do, we're gonna do it live. And this battle event was like by far the biggest battle event that King of the Dot had thrown at the time. Like, you know, they were getting cannabis, which is like at one point or another, everybody liked cannabis. Um, versus disaster and you know the all, all the other battles were super good too and they're like yeah let's do a live pay-per-view for this and i started researching it i took a month off work to like put all my time and effort towards like i was going to be directing the pay-per-view and i was going to be directing the whole film production too so i was like uh, ignorantly i was like i can handle this you know i was like i the film thing will be no problem i hired a bunch of people to do it but the pay-per-view thing is what i'm gonna have to be like super devoted to um so yeah I I put a ton of money into it, like 20 G's into like the whole production and like the pay-per-view alone was like 10 G's to like get the internet hyped up to a speed that they promised me was fast enough for HD and to rent like an on-site editor, like a TriCaster editor and hire three other cameramen to do it live. And yeah, it was, it was so stressful, man, because shit went wrong. <laughs> shit went very wrong. What happened? Uh, well, basically like we did a test there before, like the vent, like a week before at the venue to see like, Hey, maybe the internet here is fast enough. And we found out the internet is fast enough to do HD. Like it was stuttering and stuff like that. So then I called up a internet provider company like uh telepacific. And I was like, what's the fastest internet you have for like one day? And they were like, we can do 135 megabytes per second, which is insane. I was like, fuck yeah. How much is that? They're like, we'll send you a quote. It was 18 grand for <laughs> one day. Jesus. For one fucking day. And I was like, all right, I'm not trying to buy a car. I'm just trying to get some internet. So I was like, what's like a more, you know, meager price. So I got uh, eight megabytes per second, which is still really fucking fast. And they were like, this will totally be fast enough. You only need six megabytes a second to do HD streaming. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they showed up late and they installed the internet. And then I was like running around trying to get like the codes for the internet for the TriCaster guys. And when we finally got everything set up, we couldn't do HD. Like it would stutter. Like it wasn't real time. It would play back at like 10 frames per second. And I just had to make that executive call. I'm like, the fans will hate this. It will look stuttery. They'll care more about it being smooth than it being crystal clear. Right. I'm like, just go down to SD. So I just made the executive decision to go down to SD and there was such a huge backlash because I had been promising them for so long, the HD yeah. uh, pay-per-view and you know, I just got boned super hard on it, but there was nothing I could do. But at the same time, those fools need to realize like 
you're a one-man show doing that. And yeah. so hopefully uh, they've taken that into consideration since. Yeah, you know, and it was partially my fault. Like, I should have posted on Twitter or, like, Facebook, like, apologized to all the fans. Like, this is – the pay-per-view is not going to be HD. We can't do it. But I was, like, so stressed with, like, trying to get that going. And doing a live pay-per-view event is insanely stressful because basically, like, if something happens to the feed, the whole show has to stop. Right. And that happened a couple of times. Yeah, that well, it happened once. Oh. The, the TriCaster, like – crashed right before bender versus sid vicious and like we had to like literally stop the event until it booted up and that was fucking so goddamn stressful because we we had like so many people online at the pay-per-view that had paid like a ufc price for this pay-per-view right yeah it was a very stressful day <laughs> so you were the cameraman behind grind time yeah and then after grind time got popular it became like there was a url there was king of the dot and there is uh don't flop and a few others but like yeah. Now you're not fucking with grind time. No, I don't fuck with grind time anymore. You know, like I basically lush left and direct left. And those are the two guys that you trusted. I still fuck with lush and I don't fuck with grind time. So put two and two together. And so now you are part of King of the Dot. Yes. I film for King of the Dot. And everything's good with that. And you still like it. Yeah. I still love it. I love the team out here. J pro aspect and lush. We're like all, I feel like it's back to like where it used to be, where everybody kind of just wants to do cool battles. And yeah. It's, it's less like, how can I make cake off this? It's more like, how can we make cool stuff? Happen? Right on. And shout out to J pro. This is another fun fact about J pro and how small the world is. But when I used to live in Santa Barbara, when I was a kid, one of the first battle raps that I ever entered, I went in with a big head going, Oh, there's nobody in Santa Barbara that could rap. And I fucking went to this event and I got served. I got ate up in the first round by the dude who ended up winning the battle. So I wasn't that upset. But before the battle even started, when we're all ciphering, I was actually in a cipher with J Pro and uh, another dude that isn't his crew. And they were both eating me alive, too. So J Pro is a fucking old OG head. And shout out to J Pro for getting back involved in this stuff. Uh, I've always had a lot of respect for him and he's a really good guy. But yeah, so what's up? Where's battle rapping going now? Um, you know, I feel like it's, it's an, it's going in a good direction. I feel like it might be a little oversaturated and I might not watch battles anymore ever, mm-hmm. but I feel like, I feel like everybody puts out quality stuff now. Like all the videos look good. Um, every league knows how to do shit now. Everybody's getting good battles going. And I feel like in the future, King of the Dot is going to be doing really well, especially in the West. Like I feel the event we just threw out here, Alcatraz was filling in the red and that was JC battled caustic and, uh, passwords battled remedy and every single battle was really fucking good. I feel like that's like what we needed to get to was back like in the golden years where every battle was solid. Even the undercards. I was always preaching that into your ear back in the day. Like when they were having these three day events and two day events, like dude, why are you guys putting out so many battles yeah. like man cut those down to one day like the events for the first five hours were so boring because it was like the first 10 battles would be all like nobodies and it's like dude yeah. just have the fucking five good battles and then charge people you know 30 bucks to get in or whatever and it'll be a lot more fun you know what yeah. I'm saying? but anyways yeah i agree i think it got oversaturated i agree that like boiling it down to like the best and the brass taxes where it needs to go yeah yeah for sure man but tell the people where to find you we've run long (laughs) yes sorry um you can find me at twitter.com slash avocado is god avocado is god where else um i have a website kylegrayvisuals.com gray is with an a and yeah just tweet me and you know follow me if you want to hear me say weird shit 
Yeah, you do say weird shit. Yeah. But yeah, man, thank you. You know, Kyle, uh, for you guys out there, is one of my best friends. We still live pretty close to each other and see each other quite frequently. And uh, with this record, we've really been trying to do something different, Mark and I. And Kyle has become the unnamed third person of our team. And uh, I owe him a shitload monetarily and spiritually for all the help that he's given me on these music videos. <laughs> so it's been greatly appreciated because we're really trying to do a different route this time and not just put the music out, but really put some great visuals to him. So he's been a really really fucking big part of that and all of the videos that we've done together have been completely his idea so thank you for that bro yeah, no problem, appreciate man. it and i appreciate sure. you coming in and talking to us my name is intuition follow me at it's intuition follow my man ben shim behind the boards at i am database space with two s's follow us on twitter at that's kind of neat and check out our youtube channel youtube.com slash that's kind of neat yeah, thank you guys again for tuning in this week. This was kind of neat. Peace. Peace.